if you look back, there were reports here and there of a doctor doing this here, or a doctor doing that there, you know, throughout even the dispatches on reporting. But I, I don't know that anyone has kind of took a global view of it and, and you know, shined a spotlight on, okay, how much does this all happen? What kind of pattern is there? What kind of history is there? Welcome back to Prognosis Ohio. I'm Dan Skinner, and that was Max Philby of the Columbus Dispatch. Max and his colleague Jennifer Smola Schaefer are my guests on today's episode. If you haven't yet had a chance to read their series, Preying on Patients, I hope that today's episode will convince you that you need to take the time to do it. Max, Jennifer, and their colleague Mike Wagner combed through more than 40 years of Ohio medical board records to learn about physicians who were disciplined for, among other things, sexually abusing and harassing patients. In our conversation, we talk about the role language plays in either helping us to understand these physician violations or clouding them up with euphemism. We also talk about whether we should be looking at other health professionals as well, and what role medical schools, residencies, and hospitals might have to play in all of this. Obviously, it's a difficult conversation, which includes discussions of sexual abuse, but my hope here is that it can push the conversation forward. Before turning to the conversation, though, I want to make sure you know about some really slick legislative fact sheets released by the Center for Community Solutions last week. I know that the word fact sheet can sound a little bit wonkish, but these fact sheets provide Ohioans, including residents and policymakers alike, with really succinct and important information to help you tie data points to specific legislative questions. The information in the fact sheets are going to be really helpful for showing policymakers how their decisions directly impact the people they represent. This is the first such resource that ties this kind of data to actual districts, which should make it much easier for you to talk with your state representatives and senators. If you've hesitated to reach out to your elected representatives, this community solutions resource is going to be really helpful to help you know the issues and help you connect the dots for those you talk with. You can find a link to the fact sheets in our show notes. Just a quick reminder to follow us on our social media channels, subscribe to the show in your podcast app or on YouTube, which we're now on. Or why not do both so you can not only be sure to get our future episodes, but to help us out a little bit. Okay, now to my conversation with Max Philby and Jennifer Smola Schaefer of the Columbus Dispatch. You, you found that since 1980, at least 256 Ohio doctors have been disciplined by the medical board for sexual misconduct, and that, and this is a quote, the medical board failed to protect Ohioans from serial sexual abusers and harassers, despite a clear decades-long pattern of doctors preying on patients. And you add that Strauss was not an outlier, referring to OSU's uh, Richard Strauss, a serial abuser, and probably the case that our listeners know the best. But I, I want to start just by asking you for a couple of key takeaways that you want Ohioans to know. There's a lot of detail here, but I want to start with the big picture. Maybe we can start with you, Max. Yeah, so you're exactly correct. Um, 256 Ohio doctors since 1980 um, have been disciplined by the State Medical Board for sexual misconduct. That's the umbrella term the board uses for abuse and harassment. Um, you know, um, there was a wide range of abuse um, that these doctors were accused of um, over over decades. Quite a few serial abusers or harassers. 
And, um, you know, for for decades, like you'd mentioned, uh, the medical board, um, you know, might take months or even years to take action against some of these doctors. And the fact is, is because records are kept so secret, we really don't know why that is exactly. I wonder, though, since you mentioned this umbrella term is and I don't think you quite say this in the reporting, but do you find that umbrella term to be unhelpful? I mean, is the language a kind of key piece here that we need to be a bit more blunt about? Essentially, the the medical board, what made it hard for us to kind of find exactly how many doctors were disciplined for this kind of stuff is because it is described in so many different ways, you know, sexual misconduct, abuse, assault, harassment, and Jen, there are a few other terms too, right, that they use. Yeah, Max is referring to one we discovered probably about halfway through our reporting process, which was boundary crossings is the way the medical board had defined it. and. Ew. Yeah, we had been searching specifically for discipline by the medical board that involved words like, you know, sexual misconduct, sexual abuse, things like that. And so when we heard about a doctor and we looked him up and the only thing in his file said boundary crossings, we thought, what in the world does that mean? And here's another kind of trap door of potential, you know, discipline, more doctors under a search term we hadn't really looked for before. Um, And so part of it is when you look back 40 years the language that we use to describe sexual misconduct has evolved and it wasn't really used as much back then, certainly not as much officially and and publicly. And so that was part of the challenge as well as figuring out how did they characterize this back then? Did they classify it as anything like sexual misconduct? If they didn't, what were they calling it? How do we find that? Yeah. And as journalists, I mean, words are your trade. So being clear about what you're actually talking about is really important and kind of pushing through the euphemism and making sure that we actually can call this what it is. You report that 256 Ohio doctors have been disciplined. And this is a separate matter from, as you mention it in a couple places, all the cases that we assume existed but didn't result in any discipline. And and you note that at least 56 doctors disciplined for sexual misconduct are still practicing in Ohio. Can you help me to understand what the word disciplined means here? It seems like another one of these words that needs a little bit more specification. Yeah. And and Max can jump in here too, because we've, we've you know, smashed our heads against tables trying to get to the right clear language to describe it. But it's essentially when the medical board makes a citation and takes any sort of formal action against a doctor. So that might be suspending their license for six months. It might be revoking their license outright. It might be some sort of um, probation situation. It might be a letter on their file or something. I mean, are we talking about slaps on the wrist and also losing one's license? Yes, to some extent, yes. So um, we focus specifically on, yeah, I would say suspensions and revocations, but some of those also included, we also looked at consent agreements, which is a doctor is notified that the medical board has received a complaint about them and some action. Um, They have an opportunity for a hearing. And the next thing that we as the public see in the file is the doctor and the medical board have reached an agreement. The doctor has agreed to suspend his or her license or has agreed to retire, which is a nice word, yeah. uh, or has agreed to surrender their license completely. And that's kind of the end of it. And so as members of the public, we don't have a lot more information about what happened. Um, they don't have a hearing. So that's another area that we looked at. Yeah. And, and you know, when it comes to when we're saying 256 doctors were disciplined, we have no idea 
how many accusations there were over you know the 42 year span we looked at these are the doctors that the, that the board took action on and the overwhelming majority of the doctors they took action on uh, either had their license suspended or permanently revoked or they reached a settlement on there were some that um, you know faced probation at first or other things but the overwhelming majority they took either a suspension or, or permanently took it away. The other day, Governor DeWine was quoted as saying that he, quote, thinks a doctor can be independent, but the real question is, what is the proper balance on the board with members of the public and members of the medical community? Max reported yesterday that the medical board will be adding investigators, which sounds like a good thing, and they expect that this is going to lead to a rise in complaints, right? The more you look, the more you find. But is more investigators really the answer? And, and, and what I'm thinking about here is it would seem to me that this might just increase or amplify the existing problems, that there needs to be a shift in the kind of power dynamic. Is anything being done to kind of disrupt the culture at the medical board? Or are they just looking for more hands on deck to kind of within the existing culture? Well, you know, I, I think the medical board leadership would probably say all of the above. You know, uh, I believe right now they have somewhere around 26 investigators um, investigating complaints that could be made against somewhere around 96,000 medical professionals. That is a lot of medical professionals um, that they are tasked with oversight of. And, you know, while our series addressed sexual misconduct complaints, they handle a ton of other complaints, too, yeah. from prescribing issues, paperwork issues, doctors who maybe let certificates or training lapse. Um, so I think in terms of the adding investigators, that you know their thought is that especially when it comes to sexual misconduct, they'd like to get to some of these things quicker, and that is a matter of manpower. Um, and one of the reasons they would say um, that has delayed them in the past. Um, now there have been calls, like you said, yeah, the governor himself even suggested that. Perhaps the makeup of the medical board needs to change. It's a 12-person board now. Nine of them are uh, physicians, and I believe three are what are called consumer members, so non-physicians. There's also some legislation that was introduced in the State House last year that would address some of this these issues, uh, but it went nowhere. So, you know, one, one thing I've been puzzling over and as Max knows, because I've had Max on the show before, I mean, I go out of my way on this show. As somebody who looks at healthcare closely, healthcare journalists are like gold to me, you know, and I also am watching the terrain nationally. Some of them are disappearing and, and all of that. We know that story in journalism, but we really need journalists to unearth this stuff. Why didn't this come to light sooner? I mean, how how is it that something this pervasive, and by the way, I'm assuming this is true in other states. I mean, I wonder if your model here now can have some national uh, traction. But when you think about why we didn't know about this, the publicness of a board that is tasked with overseeing something so important to the public, how do you explain that? So I think that it's it's a cultural thing, but also as we hear more about these Unfortunately, names and headlines like a, a Larry Nasser, like a Richard Strauss, it opens up these other trap doors, I guess, of people hearing about this and realizing, wait a second, something like this happened to me. Yeah. Different doctor, different situation. But now I'm realizing sometimes you don't even have the words or the context to know that what happened to you was something really wrong and really bad. And I think we, we've seen that happen now on really large scales with other high-profile cases, but it's happened on very small scales as well. Sexual 
abuse prevention advocates would tell you that the more we talk about it and the less we have that stigma around around sexual misconduct, the better it's going to be for everyone because they will hopefully people will feel better coming forward to report it. Institutions will be better prepared to handle it and have a system in place. And that's something that I think 20 years ago just wasn't the case. To, to your question, Dan, too, uh, you know, I think, and I don't want to pat ourselves on the back too much here, but um, Go ahead, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, this but, is important work. But, you know, I, I don't know how often or or if it's ever happened in a lot of these cases that this kind of thing has been looked at so globally. Uh, I mean, you know, if you look back, there were reports here and there of a doctor doing this here or a doctor doing that there, you know, throughout even the dispatches on reporting. But I, I don't know that anyone has kind of took a global view of it and, and, you know, shined a spotlight on, okay, how much does this all happen? What kind of pattern is there? What kind of history is there? Yeah. And, all, and also, I mean, we, you know, I mentioned the kind of state of journalism. I mean, kudos to the dispatch for giving you the time and resources to do this. We saw with the Nasser situation you mentioned, for example, the Indianapolis, I think, is, is it the star. Mm-hmm. Am I getting that Correct, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, this takes a lot of time and time is at a premium in today's uh, reporting world. So that's an important thing that we need to step back and realize that we would not know this story if it wasn't for the resources and the ability for you to do this work. But I'm also curious, you, you, you write that the medical board's investigative records are sealed indefinitely and are not subject to discovery in civil court. It seems like this is a real problem. I mean, first of all, why is this? And is there any conversation out there that we can have? Are you hearing this conversation that maybe we need to rethink the kind of legal standing of these kinds of records? Max, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that it is the way it is because it says that in state law, like that would have to be a law changed to make that more open and public. We've heard from some patient safety advocates that yes, more transparency is obviously better. Uh, You also do have to strike a balance of, okay, if a, a doctor is accused of something and it's found to be unfounded, that doctor is never disciplined there for whatever reason, should the public be able to read every piece of that when ultimately it didn't lead to the doctor being disciplined in some cases like the case of Richard Strauss you know people would say yes because they never took action on him but they probably should have I think everyone in the state in hindsight agrees on that now but there is the argument that are we gonna make all of these records public when you know kind of like innocent until guilty sort of an idea so you know and also I mean we stand at the time you mentioned you know state law Ohio Revised Code. I mean, we have more physicians in the General Assembly, I think, than at any time in our state's history. We have a couple of of new ones joining as well. It'd be a great thing for some of our physician legislators to take up and a real sort of active leadership, I think. So it's something um, I'm I'm hoping to be talking with a few of them in the future so I can can put that question to them. And if I could just add on to there, there might be, I think there's talk about what is a balance that we can find with this because, okay, maybe you can't publicize every minor detail of an investigation, but but could you in some way find a way to quantify, okay, this doctor has had 10 complaints against them, three of them the board took disciplinary action on. You know, right now we only know the, the complaints that led to discipline by the medical board. But if, if you're a patient and you're a little unsure, you know, did, did my doctor touch me inappropriately? Did that cross a line? You might just sit back and say, okay, I'm imagining it. But if you go and look and you see that there's five other complaints against the doctor, even if you don't know the details, it might 
give you that push to say, I'm going to at least report this. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe I should tell someone. And, and I think, too, what's what's interesting about these records that are sealed, so it's investigatory records that are sealed, you know, notes from investigators and whatnot. We do have access to hearing records and things like that. If there was a hearing, there isn't always. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the thing that I kind of found unusual is, you know, even if a doctor admits to wrongdoing, you know, or isn't fighting this, um, or they are found not necessarily guilty, because like Jen said, um, you know, this isn't a court of law. It's it's more of an administrative hearing in a way. You know, those records remain sealed. So perhaps, you know, I think there's some thought out there that maybe there should be some differentiation between when somebody admits to it or is found to be, you know, likely to have done something. You know, like she said, advocates we've talked to say more sunlight on this, the better, right? Because if it's out there, they think that's a deterrent, but also it informs the public. So your piece focuses on the medical board specifically, which is certainly an important piece. Uh, I'm a medical educator, so I spend a lot of time with future physicians, and I, I think I have a little bit of sense of what the culture is there. Uh, There's also just the way we treat physicians in our society. We saw during the early months of the pandemic, this kind of heroicizing of physicians, you know, really lifting them up. Also, you know, physicians are some of the most trusted people we know in our society. The data still bears that out. But, you know, Jen, as you mentioned, we have Larry Nasser. We have the grooming we saw in those horrific cases. The fact that physicians are so trusted and so revered is actually one of the reasons to look more closely at them, we've learned. And obviously, you know, the vast majority of physicians are good people, but I wonder, is there a sense here that maybe medicine is special in its power and its place that we need to look more closely at it because of the culture around it? And what I'm kind of getting at as as well is I'm thinking about nurses and physician assistants and other health providers who, you know, need to be looked at as well, I'm sure probably not nearly as powerful in the pecking order, but also have lots of patient contact and are trusted people in our society. I mean, is that part of the conversation you're having about where this might lead? We were actually just having this conversation yesterday. And yes, there are a lot of other, to your point, um, a lot of other people in medical professions who have similar kind of access, if, if you will, to patients who might have a bit of a power dynamic. Maybe they're not a doctor, but they're still someone who's caring for a patient or who a patient inherently trusts most of the time. And our project and our reporting has focused mostly on physicians, as you said, but we've talked about, is there another or another aspect to this story with nurses, with physical therapists, with respiratory therapists, all kinds of things. As you said earlier, there are limited reporting resources out there, so we'll have to see what the future holds, you know, for us, but it's something that hopefully readers and the public and your listeners know that, yeah, doctors are one piece of it. And we hope that people will look up their doctor's disciplinary history. But I think that those same kinds of tools are available for a lot of medical professionals in Ohio. And that would be my biggest takeaway is to to check out the people who are caring for you. And, you know, we have a saying in journalism that if your mom tells you something, check it out, um, double check it. And I think even though we have a lot of inherent trust in our doctors and in our medical professionals, a quick check in their disciplinary history can't hurt. And also realizing these are people and people, you know, commit crimes. And, you know, just that the thing that I worry the most about and that we saw from the Nasser situation was the, the putting on a pedestal. Yeah. You know, parents even being in the room with Dr. Nasser at that time 
and not knowing what was happening. So there's just a lot of power, and and, and these are smart people. So if they want to do something horrific, they have a lot of brains to do that horrible thing. Yeah, and we've heard from a lot of people, patients as well, who said, I wasn't about to go up against this doctor because who would believe me? You know, it's it's their word over mine. In some cases, these were small towns where the doctors were, yeah, the, the most, res- one of our patients said the doctor who abused him was the most respected person in town. To your point, there are a lot of great doctors who have not done the type of misconduct that we're talking about here. Hopefully so, the vast majority. Ho- of them. Right. Correct. Yes. There's a lot we don't know about complaints of sexual misconduct that didn't end in discipline. But I know there's a lot of a lot of doctors who don't have a scratch on their record. So it's unfair to paint them all with a broad brush. But there is a lot of trust in them and it should be kind of checked out. Final question about the response to your reporting. You know, there's a lot of focus on, in your reporting on the medical board, but what about other entities? So I'm thinking here of the people who employ physicians, health systems, and hospitals. Um, I'm a medical educator. We train these physicians. They come through Ohio's medical schools in many cases. They train in residency programs. We saw, you know, there was a podcast, you may know, Dr. Death got a lot of attention in Texas, right? And one of the questions that raises is, how did this person get through residency or medical school without any red flags, without us seeing this? I mean, how is that even possible? And there is some question about whether there should be responsibility that trickles all the way back down to how these people went through that very long pipeline So I'm wondering if you've heard from any of these entities, if the conversation then goes to what did you see and who else was around these folks and and can lead that way. Again, limited resources on the journalistic side, but really important for us to consider, I would think. Yeah, no. So the health system question is a good one um, and not one that we've looked deeply at. But to your point about these doctors are operating in health systems often or in hospitals or large physician groups. There is a duty to report. So technically anyone who uh, suspects a doctor of this kind of misconduct or perhaps knows something or hears something is supposed to report it. And the medical board says that that's something that they're they're prioritizing. They are going after those people who maybe don't report it. The problem is, is it's hard to know what you don't know, right? So it's hard to know who did see it and didn't say something um, if they don't come forward or or if somebody else didn't. Jen, I'll let you speak to this too, but um, the response to the series has been pretty great. Um, we've heard from a lot of victims um, who have come forward and we're talking to some of them and looking at what we do next. Yeah, I'd love to say we've heard from entities who should be having all these conversations. I can't say we've, we've heard a lot from them at this point. Um, I do think you raise a great point uh, about how can we make sure this is being talked about at the first level of doctor training and in med school and in residency. Um, we haven't we haven't heard any feedback from those groups and individuals yet, but I hope that um, it's something that if it wasn't already being discussed, that if our series could play a, a small part in helping to get that be part of the conversation, that would be great. To Max's point, the medical board has been hitting harder on this responsibility of other medical professionals to report to the medical board if you're aware of another physician breaking those rules. And it's it's not just, hey, you have to let us know. It's, hey, you can lose your license now or be disciplined. I don't know exactly how far they would take it, but you can face your own discipline, even if it's just a matter of you knew and didn't say. 
Yeah. So that's like a change we're starting to see, I would say, over the past few years. So Max, Jennifer, um, and and also to the whole team of the dispatch. I mean, there's the visuals that come with this. I, I really encourage listeners to spend some time reading through and kind of looking at all that you've done and also starting to follow because there's obviously more coming. I want to thank you for the great service. You know, I, I am on a little bit of a mission now to um, try to convince medical educators around the state that they need to look at this and make this part of what they're doing with their curriculum. Medical students, there's a culture of just being busy, busy, busy. We have so many requirements. We have no time. You know, if you don't have time for this, then I, I can't imagine you really are thinking seriously about what it means to be a physician down the line. So thanks for talking through this with me and I'm looking forward to seeing where it all goes. Thanks for having us, Dan. Thank you. This episode was produced by me, Dan Skinner. I received editorial and production support from Angela Lynn and Mike Foley, curator of the WCB podcast experience, worked the recording equipment for us at the WCBE studios. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss our next episode with state representative and obstetrician gynecologist Anita Samani about, among other things, surprise, surprise, the increasingly precarious state of reproductive rights here in Ohio. Prognosis Ohio is a member of the WCBE podcast experience and the Health Podcast Network. As always, be in touch with us if you have ideas for guests or topics or ways we can improve the show. We take them really seriously and love hearing from listeners. Speaking of listeners, thanks for listening and be well.